Euphoria Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. In this episode, Fred talks with Mr. Mike Lefave, a career HR professional. They talk about his early career at GTE and the rotational and professional development program he participated in and benefited from. They talk about the various stops he made along the way in the different specialties of human resources and the global travel that a career in HR afforded him. Finally, they talk about his move to consulting as the latter part of his career, again, leveraging his HR credentials and experience. They also discuss briefly an interest Mike has, based upon his love of dogs, about a role he has played in the world-famous Westminster Dog Show. Again, an interesting episode and discussion about someone's career in human resources, and a brief side note on a very interesting hobby. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to CareerPod, Mike LaFave. Oh, nice and, to talk to you, Fred. And where, where are you uh, living now? I'm living in uh, Placidas, New Mexico, about 15 miles north of Albuquerque. Okay, and uh, it's not snowing right now, is it? It is not snowing in Albuquerque, okay. trust me. Okay. <laughs> we get little of it here. Well, uh, we're really happy you could join us, and uh, let's talk a little bit about the early parts of your career, your early life in education, and any of uh, either your early life or education that may have influenced your career uh, choices and direction. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I uh, lived in Michigan. That's where I grew up, and uh, my dad worked for the telephone company, and he uh, very much wanted me to be an engineer, so I, uh, at the end of high school, went off to Oakland University to become an engineer. The only problem was I wasn't very good at math, and that didn't work out very well after about two years, so uh, I ended up uh, enlisting in the Navy, went into submarine service, and and then came back uh, four and a half years later and re-enrolled at Oakland University in Michigan and uh, graduating with honors from... uh, from the economic school, which is certainly not what I was doing when I was trying to be an engineer. Okay. And how about, how did you morph into human resources? Was that your first job or did you go through a couple Uh, of different ones? No, actually I was interviewed on campus by uh, Sylvania, part of the GTE corporation, and they had uh, a uh, fast track program where they were hiring five people nationally a year to go on a, um, professional development program in human resources. And uh, the idea was that they would put you in different locations with different experts and you'd learn about the various topics uh, in in HR and at the same time build a fantastic network that you could use when you got to your permanent location. So um, I worked on and off with them for probably about 13 years, uh, worked for some, uh, for some other companies um, both in the electronics area and, and, uh, some field service activity actually had an opportunity to, to work overseas in the Middle East and Iran, Algeria and places like that. So it was a very interesting career. Um, spent most of my time with GTE in the, in the, uh, strategic weapons business, um, okay. doing, uh, uh com- command control and communications for missiles and that sort of thing. In uh, for some people that aren't as familiar with uh, human resources, you're a generalist, and typically, what were your, you know, three or four primary responsibilities as a generalist? Yeah, sure. My my uh, my primary responsibility was probably um, employee relations, 
Um, I, I had actually been interested in doing union relations um, when I first started out, but kind of dropped that. I found out a little bit more about it and didn't want to go that route. Um, and uh, so I, I did uh, employee relations. Um, I did some time in, in hard activities like compensation benefits and that sort of thing, uh, but then spent most of my time in uh, training, development, career management, organizational management, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, how about uh, as you look back in the early days and what continued uh, in your traditional uh, HR career, what kind of uh, mm-hmm. skill set, what kind of aptitude uh, really uh, does a person most likely need to have success in human resources? Yeah, I think there were a couple of things, um, one of which I was a very outgoing person, always have been. Um, and so making a connection with others in the organization, um, having an interest in other people and what they were doing and their careers and and uh, their work um, certainly was very helpful in that regard. I, I also had some capability in terms of um, my uh, my training ability. I was uh, I was a good trainer and coach, okay. um, and so I spent quite a bit of time doing uh, training, coaching, and executive development. Right, and in terms of uh, your transfer, your time in the Middle East, uh, uh, what what takeaways did you get, uh, either because of the kind of cultural exposure, or were you in a kind of a vestibule, uh, meaning you didn't have much interaction with the the low home country people. Yeah, no, actually, actually, I did. Um, in the work that we were doing, uh, we were building a million square foot home entertainment products factory, and we were uh, our division was hiring and training a lot of the people that were going to work in that factory. That was in Algeria, and then I was working on classified programs for the Iranian Air Force. Um, uh, and they were primarily focused on doing. Uh, uh, information gathering uh, using electronics and listening devices and that sort of thing. So I had a lot of contact with the uh, with the locals, um, and for me it was a, a great experience. Um, of course, I'd been in the Navy and I'd, I'd been overseas, but it really was a great opportunity to learn a lot about different cultures and uh, the way in which they operated. And we actually had to train the uh, Iranian Air Force officers in um, in sort of U.S. type uh, Western style decision making, because they okay. weren't they weren't used to that. Yeah, yeah. Now some people will have that option, and they view that as a risk. On balance, did you really get rewarded for that uh, flexibility to take that kind of assignment? Um, yeah, I did. Um, I actually went from there. Uh, in that particular field service operation to working in a a much larger division. Actually, it was a a startup when we won the, uh, we won the command and control and communications uh, contract for the um, MX missile was a huge contract. And uh, I stepped in as a director of employee relations and uh, was working my career up to become uh, director of that division, and, and there's a story there. Um, and and then uh, ultimately, I saw my career as going forward to to move up into the corporate uh, environment. Okay. Uh, did you have mentors along the way? Uh, typically, in a rotation assignment, people are falling all over themselves trying to coach you. 
but as you matured after a couple of these assignments, were you fortunate enough to have some assistance from a mentor? I, I did. I had uh, I had an extraordinary individual. Randall Kenyon was his name, and Randy uh, was the uh, director of human resources for one of the divisions that I worked for, and and he was a great mentor. Uh, he was very experienced, been in the function for a long time, and um, and really helped coach me in terms of my career and where it was going and the skills that I needed, and gave me the time to get skill development, and uh, so. Uh, I would say out of out of everybody uh, along the way that uh, I had an opportunity to mentor with, it was probably Randy. Yeah, they make a big difference in a career. Uh, how about uh, as you look at your traditional HR, uh, you know, environment? Uh, what were the biggest satisfiers in that portion of your career? Um, well, I would say probably the biggest satisfiers that I had was when I, I worked with people, particularly people that were dealing with career transition, either within or without the organization. Um, I was a key person uh, in that area, um, and, and in some sense, it ultimately led me to my my consulting career, which was uh, in career transition and executive development and that sort of thing. Um, And uh, so I, you know, I I guess for me, it's always being able to add value to the individuals that you're working with. What are you giving to them? How are you helping them? Um, And I always saw myself that way in in working in the, the corporate environment. All right. How about the flip side of the question, the maybe some of the more frustrating parts of that HR, uh, uh, you know, job family that you were in? Well, um, there's kind of two sides to that. One of which was that I, I, as you've gotten uh, to understand here, I I worked a lot in the government contracting business. Um, And I always chafed at all of the controls and rules and regulations. I'm a particular guy who needs a lot of autonomy in the work that I do. Um, and was, you know, you end up being, being very hemmed in. Um, and again, that probably was part of my decision to, to leave the corporation and go in consulting. In terms of your decision to leave and go into a consulting track, was there a last straw that really pushed you that way? Or was there really an attraction that you went to when you went to a consulting role? Yeah, there were, there were, again, two sides to that. One of which was that, um, I was really beginning to get um, dissatisfied with the role in the organization um, and all of the lack of autonomy and the controls and all that sort of thing, kind of chafing at all that. And, and uh, so I was kind of um, kind of looking around a little bit to, to where I, I might move to do something. Um, I, I had an opportunity through GTE Corporation to do some significant career assessment. Um, and, and out of that really came away with an understanding that, um, that that consulting, uh, role was the thing that I was really looking for. At the same time, I was working for a general manager, um, and, and it was thought that, uh, ultimately I was going to take over the directorship of HR for that particular division. Well, when it got to that point and the other fellow retired, the general manager, to my great surprise, said, I don't think I want you in the job. Okay. <laughs> so um, so I, I kind of had a push and a pull. Right. Um, I was already looking to transition, and uh, so there was the swift kick in the pants, and I was out the door. All right. Before we jump into consultancy, uh, 
for those people in traditional HR jobs or general uh, organizational jobs, what kind of uh, takeaways do you have in general advice in terms of, you know, their uh, succession uh, options or their work habits or things that you really would counsel people to be mindful of as they try to grow their career? Well, I, I think um, I, I've always been a great believer in keeping yourself ahead of the curve in terms of being educated about what's going on and what the what the changes are um, in the field. Um, and so uh, getting yourself trained and, and assessing where you're going and really assessing yourself for um, for what your needs are and, and what works for you and, and what works for the organization always looking at that. Um, you know, a lot of people I've worked with over the years, uh, you know, it's their head is down and they're working hard and their tail is up and all of a sudden they wake up one day and they don't have a job. Um, and, and they don't have options because they haven't done anything about that. And I think, uh, creating those options for yourself is a, is a really critical thing that people need to do. So you went into consulting, uh, in how long were you in, in consulting versus, uh, traditional work? Um, actually, I was in consulting longer. Um, I probably, um, between my two consulting companies and um, and my time after I retired doing some um, some consulting work for another company, I probably spent somewhere in the vicinity of twenty five plus years um, okay. in the consulting area. And this was all in career and, uh, coaching and career management. Yeah, it was organizational development, uh, yeah. executive coaching, career, a lot of it in career management. Um, and uh, and I made the decision when I did the transition to hook up with an already existing organization. Uh, I had three uh, clinical psychologists as partners, um, and they had a uh, already developed business in uh, mostly in Maine, but some in New England, and, and we built off of that. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, I got to the point where I was getting, um, chomping at the bit again. Uh, you know, there were, when you have partners, there are always issues and concerns. And, and, uh, so, uh, at one point in time, about nine years after I started with them, I moved into my, having my own business. In, in, in terms of consulting, uh, everybody talks about it. Oftentimes when job loss takes place, it, it is tough. Uh, to not to go into consulting without a nudge or or some you know uh, event. Mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give to people who are looking at uh, possibly consulting, just in general, not particularly out uh, 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 HR, but just in general? What what kind of uh, two or three things you you tell them? Well, I think it's a lot harder than people think it is. Um, in most consulting firms, you're responsible for delivering product or or uh, uh, advice or or whatever you're doing. Um, uh, but the the other piece of that is uh, the issue of sales, uh, marketing and sales. Um, and and I find that most people who have been employees um, have no idea how much uh, time that takes, how hard that is. Um, and you know, they kind of think they're going to step out and start working, but you know, where's that business going to come from? You're going to generate it. And, and the first step is, is hard because, um, I find that most people, when you first step out, they don't look at you as a consultant. Mm 
Right. Um, I was an HR guy and I was going around to marketing to HR people and said, well, who, why are you a consultant? How, how are you any different than I am? <laughs> um, and that's a very good question to answer, you know, for yourself, if you will. Um, now when my career in consulting got along and particularly when I, I left my partners, uh, I almost didn't do any, uh, sales and, uh, and marketing. It, it, it almost all just kind of came off the transom, you know, right. because right. I was known at that point in time, uh, um, as a consultant. Yeah. It's one of those things where you get rewarded for tenure when you first start out, uh, uh, you act, you know, the success you have, ironically, it comes from people you don't know. The people you know, uh, to your point, see you as a former HR person and, and not this content-rich expert uh, consultant. So it is, uh, and then just staying power, do, staying with it for a while, really does get rewarded. So, uh, You know, you're absolutely right about that, Fred, because I... Uh, I, I, I remember how many times I was uh, turned down by uh, people that I'd gone to do a sales call with because they had that perception of me. My first business came out of New Jersey out of somebody I never knew. Right. So that's so that, that's a really strong takeaway. And it goes to the whole notion when you start a business, uh, it's okay to, to join an established firm because the the uh, you know, the wall isn't that high to get going. And then secondly, just the, the value of volume in terms of, uh, when you start out, it, it, you, there's no substitute for, you know, making a lot of calls and to people you don't know, to people, you know, and, and really stretching your reach. And over time you will be rewarded for that. So, uh, yeah, that's right. I, um, I, I think I probably knocked on uh, about 300 doors before I got my first business. Okay. Now, uh, let's change uh, venue. Now, you, at some point, you, you did move to New Mexico, and you still did some consulting. I guess it would be less yes. that you did uh, when you were there. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you, had, you thought about, now we're going to talk a little bit about retirement here, and then we'll go back to a special hobby I just want to make sure we talk about. But why New Mexico? Uh, and uh, what were your thoughts? Had you thought about this for a long time? Yeah, I, um, one of the things that I learned in coaching a lot of people about their careers is that I better coach myself about my career. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I made a decision actually to retire when I was 59. Okay. Um, I'd done very well um, in the business, and so I had, uh, I had uh, income and, and uh, retirement funds and that sort of thing. And uh, we had traveled to New Mexico a lot, um, out to the Southwest, um, to visit with friends that we had out here and and ultimately uh, decided that we really loved it here and ended up buying a piece of property and built a a new house on it and moved out here in 2002. So we've been here 16 and a half years or so uh, at this point. And as you would give advice to others, and no doubt you... Uh, because you're interested in people and helping them. What is your advice about retirement in terms of any top two or three things you find yourself telling people? Yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess it's always that I don't believe there's any such thing as retirement. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I really, I really kind of look at it and looked at my own as a transition into uh new job, new environment, new direction, new goals. Um, I came out here 
for all intents and purposes, and did work extensively for my church. Um, okay. Headed up the men's ministry in our church, and and was on the board here, and I did a lot of things in my church, and uh, and um, you know, and, and then supplemented with uh, you know with a, a little bit of career transition coaching for a company who got business in Albuquerque but had no one here. Right. Um, okay. And so we had a we shared a uh, we shared a really. Uh, symbiotic relationship, if you will, over, uh, over about 10 year period of time. Okay. Well, let's go back a little bit. Uh, uh, the hobby sure. I'm going to bring up is uh, all about dogs. And, uh, how did that morph into, I'll let you announce what you, uh, have worked in and uh, you've been doing it for, I guess, a dozen or more years. Uh, so what kind of dogs have you had in your lifetime and, and, uh, take us through that evolution from, you know, a love of dogs to uh, a job that would pay you something once a year. So what, what was that all about? Sure. Sure. Um, well, I guess first I would say that um, uh, what I am is I'm the announcer for the Westminster Dog Show at Madison Square Garden in February. Yeah. And we live broadcast that show every year for about six hours of live broadcasting. Um, it's probably the most famous dog show in, right. in the country. And that's a big um, deal. But um, it, it is a very big deal. It is a big deal. Uh, yeah. The show is a big deal, not yeah. I'm a big deal. The show's a big <laughs> well, you've definitely got a, uh, you're, you're an attractive man, but you do have a voice for radio. You know that. You know, it's just, a, it's I do. That nice I do. Yes, it actually, it, it, yeah, actually, it's my father's voice. So, you know, I borrowed it from him. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, um, my wife was the dog when we first got married. Uh, yeah. We've been married 49 years. When we, when we uh, first got married, she said, we're going to have dogs. Okay. And I'd never had dogs in my life. And so we ended up with dogs. And over time, we raised Great Danes and uh, and uh, mostly Basset Hounds, a couple of Whippets, and uh, uh, a Norwich and a Norfolk Terrier. So hmm. um, I got very in- what I got very involved in was I got very involved in dog clubs in New England. I was uh, the show chairman and the um, president uh, of the Eastern Dog Club, which is the big Boston uh, dog club uh, that puts on a very prestigious show out there. And uh, through that process, I got to know a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Chet Collier. Chet was um, one of the... um, leading developers of Fox News, along with Roger Ailes. And uh, he ended up being my my vice president, but he was also the show chairman for Westminster Dog Club. Um, And there came a a year, and it was 2001, when the fellow who was doing the broadcast became very ill um, and wasn't able to continue. And and so Chet asked me if I would come down and do the show, because he'd seen me do it, um, you know, not broadcast it, but you know, announce for the people right. in the auditorium uh, in in Boston, and so I went and did that show that year. And subsequent week, the subsequent weekend, uh, the individual had been doing it for twenty five years, unfortunately passed away. Yeah. And so I have literally been doing the show since uh, since two thousand and one. Well, well, it's, you do a great job. Now I'm going to have to ask some inside questions here. Uh, now sure. you must do a lot of homework preparing for that because you now you must have a script obviously but uh do you invest a fair amount of time in in knowing the I guess I call them contestants uh uh or tell me a little bit about the prep and 
and how, how you uh, sure. bring it off. Sure. We, we, uh, we do, uh, we do a significant amount of preparation for the show. Um, uh, again, it's live. So you want to, you know, you really want to know what you're doing. Um, and so we, we develop a script. There are, uh, you know, there are some 300 and some breeds currently. Um, and, uh, I need to, I need to know about each and every one of them. My job in the show and announcing is really to describe that particular dog and its history and where it came from and what it looks like and and that sort of thing and then there are a couple of other people who uh, do more of a color announcement about who owns the dog and and what its background of winning and that sort of thing is so there's a lot of preparation uh, for getting ready for the show and then of course there's practice once we get there uh, to do the show and um so it, it takes an extensive yeah. amount of time i i yeah i basically i fly in on, on saturday have a TV production show on uh, Sunday morning, and then on um, Monday night and Tuesday night, we broadcast three hours. Well, it's, it's very enjoyable, and uh, my wife loves cats, so I'm a cat person all of a sudden. And uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's very enjoyable. Now, just a little bit of insight: is it fairly predictable who will win, or meaning you know that this dog has been a winner in 22 shows? Uh, has all the characteristics that they look for, or occasionally do you get that dog like Rocky that comes out of nowhere and uh, uh, is a surprise? How about that dynamic? Does that ever happen, or is it pretty much it comes down to two or three dogs that are the favorites and they tend to, one of them will win? Well, if you understand the process, you're starting out by breed judging, and then you go up to group judging. So you're judging all the hounds together, um, and then ultimately you end up with seven dogs that are best in show. And right. you're, 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 the judge is going over the, the top winning dogs in the country. Yeah. Uh, I know my friend, uh, my friend David Fry, who used to broadcast the show often, would say, you could close your eyes and point and pick out a great dog. Um, okay, so, so, but there, but there are, but there are favorites. I mean, in the sense that there are some dogs that, uh, people say, you know, probably there are seven dogs in there, but probably three, four of them are the real contenders okay. for the show that right. Well, that, that's, well, that's fascinating. Now I know more than I ever thought I'd know about dog shows. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the technology and all your roles, uh, you know, technology has certainly changed in emerging ways of dealing with things. Anything you can point to uh, that really made a difference in your HR career or your consultancy, uh, new technologies? The technology base for, for HR is, um, is, has been significant but is, is really growing things related to being able to do assessments with technology. Um, you know, it, it just, there's a lot of technology available to HR and people, uh, again, as I said, you've got to stay up to speed or, you right. know, the need for the use of technology and human resources, there's, there's, there's never been a need like there is now, but, but going back to, um, 1980 when I was working at GTE and we, and we won that first contract on the MX program. Uh, one of the things that we did in conjunction with the contract recruiting firm that we were working with was develop one of the first in the country applicant tracking systems. 
um, and and we could track every particular detail of the process and be predictive about it and to tell you how many resumes you needed to generate, how many invites to generate, how many offers, et cetera. Um, so, um, and in the area of the consulting business, there's been a significant change in terms of assessment software and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been really enlightening. I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy this. I guess my takeaways are, uh, as you said early on, uh, it's important to be outgoing and enthusiastic at work, especially in the human resource function. If you're introverted, you have to work at it, but nevertheless, it has the same impact. Uh, continuous learning, you know, you're, you've advocated that and you've practiced it throughout your career. And in terms of retirement, uh, I guess uh, your best advice about retiring is don't retire and uh, stay active. Okay. So That's right. We'll have a plan. For sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike, uh, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Take care. Okay, Fred. Thanks very much.